If you're visiting or new, we're going to the book of John. As I've mentioned, next week I will do a topical message only because it's our ministry Sunday. And uh, we want to see God kind of get some of the things that we've had um, uh, even moving forward a little bit more. Like we uh, maybe the ministry Sunday advance some of the children's classes, get some of those refilled again. And uh, our first service, for example, we have a tiny crew for worship. I'd love to see God expand the number of people that we can have a full worship team in the early service. And so these are things that uh, are related to Ministry Sunday. But all those are labors. And we'll look at that this morning in our text as well. Uh, John chapter 4. We left off, you know, Jesus uh, surprised the disciples. Leaves Judea. If you remember, I told the first service, no maps today, by the way. I like maps, but you don't get any maps today. But here's, I'm going to give you a visual that you can remember. Israel in that time was like the Oreo cookie. The bottom was Judea. Samaria is the white, kind of super sweet, smushy stuff in the middle there. And the top was Galilee. So if you think about the way, you know, that, that Israel on the map there, Judea, Samaria, Galilee. And so Samaria in the middle was not Jewish. They were of a mixed, they were mixed Jewish, but the Galileans Jewish and Judeans Jewish. Remember they went out of their way for the most part. Some people, if they were devout, they would go out of their way not to go through Samaria. So Jesus thus shocks the disciples, goes through Samaria, and puts on that humanity, waits by that well, thirsty, weary, waiting for one woman to come out and then when he meets her, he asks her for a drink. She can't believe that he's even talking to her. You, we don't even have, you, us Jews and Samaritans, you know, us Samaritans and you Jews, we don't, we don't communicate. And you're asking me for a drink, and he then tells her what? You should be asking me for a drink because I give you living water. And of course she wants that. Who wouldn't? I mean, she, I'd never have to go to the well ever again. That'd be great. <clears throat> but then Jesus uh, tells her to go get her husband. He says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, that's true. You've had five. The one you're with is currently not your husband. He confronts sin in her life. And then she tries to change the subject, and then ultimately Jesus said, I want to let you know that the Father is seeking true worshipers. In other words, that she could be one of those true worshipers, but she's going to have to meet God on God's terms, not her terms. Jesus speaks to her, And let's pick it up with where we left off. Jesus, she finally says, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before. A Messiah is coming. Let's pick it up with where we left off. Did any of you read ahead this week? See, I already knew the story. I didn't need to read ahead. All right. Some of you know the story. You had the flannel graph when you were (laughs) at Sunday school and stuff. You know how it went. But if you didn't, Let's pick it up, verse 25, or maybe this is new to you. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. So even the Samaritans believed the Messiah was coming, the Jews believed the Messiah was coming. They might have had different conceptions of what that would look like. Who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He'll know everything. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We talked about a pin could drop. What would she do? 
What do you do with that information? When you find out you're talking to the Son of God, what are you going to do? And what is he asking you to do? What will she do? Read on, verse 27, at that, and at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. As I told the first service, if Jesus tells you all things you ever did, a lot of it ain't good. If Jesus says, let's go through your teen years. Let's go through your 20s. Remember that time and no one knows but me, but now you and me know that I knew? Could this be the Christ? She says, a man told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That would be scary to everybody else too. We're all sinners. And they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Someone snuck Jesus a meal. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say, I love when Jesus tells something not to do. Don't do this. He goes, do not say things aren't ready. Do not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields, for they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Isn't that great to know? I've done a lot of sowing that I won't reap, but somebody else will, and vice versa. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have not, uh, and you have entered into their, not you, not, but you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed. You can circle that word believe. It's actually three times from verse 39 through 42 because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, there it is again, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Are you that convinced that Jesus is who he says he is? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for the testimony of your own son who spoke to this woman and now speaks to us. Lord, I pray your spirit would speak through me, remove me once again from the equation that we all might hear from you, Jesus, and we might listen, obey, and be transformed. And if anyone here doesn't know you, today would be the day they would know you as their Lord and Savior. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I gave you all that backdrop. Jesus explains all these things to her. And then he has this amazing response, I am he. How could anyone walk away from Jesus at that point? Say, uh, that's nice and all. 
especially if he offers you salvation, which of course he does. But sadly, many have walked away from Jesus, and many do. But what would she do? What would this woman do? Would she remain in her sins, or would she let Jesus wash her? Would she let him wash her? And then fill her afresh and anew. Again, not sure if you read ahead, but you saw the rest of the story and how it goes here. If you're taking notes this morning, Lord of the harvest, one becomes many. Aren't you glad God can take one and turn it to many? One to many. You ever met people who said, I'm the first person to ever graduate from college in my family? Anyone ever heard someone say that? I've heard it so many times, I think people are making it up now. So, uh, I, I've, especially when I'm watching sports, you know, I, I'll say, first person ever graduate, you know, I hear it again and again. But you might be convert number one, like this one, this woman was, your family. And God can take one and become many. We want to look at that this morning. The first thing we want to look at, I have actually four things this morning. I usually have three and occasionally two, but four today. Uh, really want to break this down as best we can. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want to look at takes place with uh, her heart in Jesus, which I've titled Fully Convinced. She becomes fully convinced. She can't be partially convinced when it comes to Jesus. You've got to be fully convinced. And let me be clear, unless Jesus comes to all of us, and he, unless He opens our eyes with the light of the gospel, you and I have no hope from being saved from our sins and an eternity in hell. I know that hell is not mentioned that much in America unless it's a curse word. Right? Jesus' name is used as a curse word in this country a lot. But hell really is real. It's the whole reason Jesus came is to save us from something. In other words, he didn't come to save us from a bad day. He came to save us from eternity in, in hell. So hell is real. It's why Jesus came. So unless He comes, we have no hope. This is why He came. It's why He lived. It's why He preached. It's why He died. It's why He rose from the dead. But once Jesus has revealed Himself to you, or me, and you see yourself as a sinner and you've heard the gospel, guess what? A decision has to be made. What are you going to do with that? We got a chance on, on uh, late, late this week, Friday, myself, one of the other brothers who's here right now, to lead someone to Christ and saw them make the decision to say, yes, I want to be saved. We went through every little thing in about 30 minutes, as much as you can go through, to answer uh, key questions. But there comes a point when you have to decide whether or not to believe in Jesus or not. What do you, uh, will you believe what he says? Christ reveals to us our sins. And his saving power, he reveals that he alone can do this, but it brings us to a valley of decision. And to make no decision or to delay the decision is to decide not to surrender to Jesus. Not, not, not right now, not going to surrender just yet. You have to come to that place that you're fully convinced that Jesus is God. You know his name, Emmanuel. God with us? You have to be convinced that Jesus is God. That he's perfect. That he's sinless. Which makes him completely different than us. That he's the only way to be saved. The only way. There's not many paths. There's only one. To be cleansed and forgiven of sin and to be, as he told Nicodemus in John 3, to be born again. Born anew. 
And even if you're fully convinced of these truths, there has to be sorrow for our sin and a desire to be fully transformed by Jesus. Otherwise, you could be like the rich young ruler. He was convinced Jesus was the answer, but he still loved this temporary world. Wasn't that sad? He, he goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. But not this Samaritan woman. We don't know precisely when she puts her full faith in Christ. Uh, John leaves a gap here of Jesus saying, I am he, and the next thing we know, she's witnessing. So exactly when she comes to the point of conversion, John doesn't document that, and maybe for whatever reason, God says, leave that out. When all you get to heaven, you'll get to hear the rest of the story. But I only have what we have. But we know that she does. She comes to that place. We don't know the exact moment where she believes that Jesus is her Savior, her Messiah. The word Christ, it means anointed. But from the rest of the story, we know that she does come to Christ. We know that she puts her faith in Him. And she becomes that initial convert, that convert number one on Jesus' mission to Samaria. By the way, it would already be a success if she's the only convert, wouldn't it? It would already be a success. Jesus had confronted her sin and her need, but instead of her feeling shame and anger, how dare you? How dare you tell me that stuff? Right? In our society. Do not talk to me about sin. But Jesus did it in love. And by the way, when you present the gospel, you have to be really loving to people. And it should be easy in a sense for a couple of reasons. One, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Two, we're wretched. So we're not saying, you can become holy like me. No, you can become rescued like me. Right? You're just one person slipping down the water in the Titanic that grabbed a life preserver and handed it to the person beside you. That's all you're doing. That's all she was doing. She came to the well. Think about it. She came to the well to get water, but she's so convinced that she's met the Savior and that's so convinced that she's found eternal living water that she leaves the water in the water pot that she came to get. So she leaves the water she came to get to go tell everybody about the water Jesus came to give. Leaves that water to tell about his water. Now you can imagine the surprise and intrigue of everybody else in this city. The people that know in the city of Sychar, they know her background. It seems like she's a little bit of an outcast in her own community. It seems like she doesn't have a lot of close friends. We talk, called her you know, no friends at noon last week. It seems like she's a little bit of an outcast, but yet something she has changed so much that she has a voice in that community. I mean, lightning fast. By the way, if Jesus is giving you life, so she runs to the, she run, she's fully convinced. We see her running to the community. It tells us that she, verse 28, the woman left the water pot. That's the whole reason she came there, right? It's like you leaving all your groceries at Publix. You just bagged them. And you run out of there and leave it all behind. That, it better be something important, right? You leave it all there. She runs, she leaves all of that behind, and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She becomes an immediate witness. And if you've been given new life by Jesus, you really can't keep it to yourself. You can't 
keep it to yourself. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.13, we have the same spirit of faith, speaking of the, the prophets in the Old Testament that spoke for God. According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. The reason I'm speaking up here right now is because I believe in everything I'm saying. The reason I go tell people about Jesus when I'm in my daily life, and I hope that you do too, when I'm talking to people, oh, yeah, I, let me tell you about what God did for me. I believe, therefore I spoke. Now, if you don't believe it, you have no reason to speak it. But if you do believe it, you can't keep it in because you have the Holy Spirit as well. Remember Jesus told her in, uh, back in verse 14 that fountains of living water, living water, it's, it's like bubbling up. It's a spring in you that would well up. And if we've been born again anew, that water comes out by believing on Jesus. This newness will flow out. She couldn't help but tell everybody, I don't care what you all think of me. I don't care what you think about my past life. This man has saved me and you guys should meet him too. Now even the disciples themselves, I think we'd all agree, the disciples, they're already followers of Jesus, right? right. The whole reason they're with Jesus is they, they've been called into discipleship and later apostleship. They are already followers. They're already faithful witnesses of Jesus. He's going to send them out two by two. They're going to do amazing things. They are already followers of Jesus. But interesting, that even you can be a follower of Jesus, I can be a follower of Jesus, our living water can sometimes flow in only one direction when God wants it flowing in all directions. And it can get kind of bottled up, if you will, restricted, or temporarily capped. Why do we say this? Because they are not seeing a lot of things that Jesus wants them to see. They're very focused on the physical, temporal, and Jesus is wanting them to see the eternal and spiritual. And by the way, you and I, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we come and fellowship and open the Word of God together. We need stirring regularly. Even though the water is living, God wants it to not flow in one direction, but all directions. Let's take a look at our second point this morning, which I titled Fully Devoted. And this is where Jesus, she was fully convinced that he was the Messiah, and Jesus is going to demonstrate a little bit of his full devotion to the will of the Father here. He says, we see that she runs, she, in her convinced state, becomes this witness. In the meantime, verse 31, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. Uh, Jesus, I know that you've been focused on this woman, but it's lunchtime. <laughs> and it's lunchtime here right now, or close to it. I think it's, it's getting there. And some of you, I'm not going to mention any restaurants. I'm just not going to do that to you. <laughs> Subliminally, now you're thinking of your own, but I didn't mention any, so you can't blame me. Um, but anyway, it was, it was rabbi, the rabbi eat, it's lunchtime, and he says to them, he doesn't say, yeah, what do you got? What'd you bring back? I can't wait to eat it. He doesn't say that. They get a little bit of a slap on the wrist. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Did somebody slip him some falafel? And we didn't know about it. Some hummus. Good Mediterranean Israeli food there. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already. We'll get to that in a second. But so the disciples, they can't understand. 
they can't even understand why Jesus is conversing with a woman, much less a Samaritan woman. It's as this is beneath a rabbi to be conversing with her, let their local city leaders do that, let her husband talk to, to, her, to her, and on top of it, you know, we don't, we're Jewish, she's Gentile, more specifically Samaritan. We don't speak to them, they don't speak to us. So they don't even understand why Jesus even came through Samaria in the first place. They thought, the disciples thought that Jesus had come to the earth as the Messiah to restore what? Israel. They thought he came to restore Israel, which is partially correct. Would we all agree with that? That's partially correct. He did come to restore Israel. He came to save and restore the souls of the Jewish descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which the Samaritans revered. Remember, they revered. It was, this was Jacob's well. Jesus did come to restore all the Jewish descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he also came to restore the souls of Abraham's non-Jewish descendants, which includes the line of Ishmael and Keturah and all her sons. Those were all Gentiles, all Gentile people that spread among the Middle East and Africa and, and all the way up in uh, probably some of the, the northern parts there. But ultimately, Jesus did not come just to restore Israel, which is what the apostles were thinking, Israel, Israel, Israel. Came to restore Israel. And Jesus did say he came first to the lost house of Israel, didn't he? He did. He said, I came first to the lost house of Israel. But it's Israel and. It's not only Israel, it's Israel plus. Why do we know that? Previous chapter, he told Nicodemus, who was intensely Jewish, one of the religious leaders of the Jews, he said, for God so loves the world. He didn't say, for God so loves Jerusalem. For God loves Judea, but not Samaria. For God loves everyone except for those people. He didn't say that. So they didn't even fully understand why Jesus was in Samaria. They were, they, when they thought they would be sent out to be witnesses, they thought it would always be to their other Jewish brothers and sisters. And now, eventually, as you know, the apostles are going to go around the world. They're going to go to Rome. They're going to go to North Africa. They're going to go to India. They're going to go other places. They, they, he's conditioning them that their water will flow in all directions, not just one direction. And additionally, Jesus, in addition to coming for Jerusalem, or coming from, uh, for the Jewish people, which he did, and the house of Israel, he also came to be the light that Israel as a nation was called to be, but never fulfilled it. As you know, Israel never was able to get it together, right? So the Assyrians carried off 12 tribes, Babylonians carried off the other two, temples destroyed, they could never get it together. Just like you and I can never get it together without God's help. So Jesus comes and does what Israel could never do. He is the light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be the light to the Gentiles. Jesus comes and fulfills that. He also sets the stage for the future restoration of Israel because God's not done with Israel. If you ever hear people with what, what, what's called replacement theology, I don't subscribe to that. God is not done with Israel uh, them as a priestly nation set apart will be fulfilled in the thousand year reign of Christ in the millennium. You can read about that in Ezekiel among other places. But not until the cross, until the resurrection is anything of what Jesus starts to initiate in future prophecy and many of the things he fulfilled 
None of those things can be complete until he goes to the cross and rises from the dead. Does that make sense? That kind of opens the door for everything to be finished. He uses the word finished. What does he say on the cross? It is finished. But he has to fulfill what God wants him to do here, which includes reaching that lost house of Israel, but also reaching out to Gentiles because he is sent as a light unto the Gentiles, which the Old Testament prophesied. But there are many other facets of God's unfolding plan and life of Jesus that Jesus either his life either fulfills or it initiates. Does that make sense? His life either fulfills a prophecy or fulfills something in the will of God or it initiates a next step, which we're part of, by the way. Obviously the church age is one of them. But amazingly, think about this though. Amazingly, you guys online listening? All right, you too. But amazingly, the quiet, solitary moments of Jesus, just those quiet, solitary moments of Jesus and the Father, nobody but there but Jesus and the Father. He had a lot of those, right? Nobody there. No record of what was taking place, how he prayed. It was just him alone at 5 a.m. in the dark, praying with the Father another time. All of those times. Then you have the one-on-one encounters like Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and the woman at the well. But there would have been others that weren't even recorded. You have all of those. You have the teaching of the disciples. Countless hours teaching them, walking down the road, on the, on the seasides, there in the Mount of Beatitudes, different places. You have the preaching to large crowds. You have the massive public miracles like the feeding of the 5,000, healing many people. You have all kinds of things that nobody saw Jesus do. Jesus did it, and you won't know about it until you get to heaven. You have him rebuking religiosity and religious leaders. And all of these things, all the way to the cross, all the way to the resurrection, and then finally all the way to the ascension there on the Mount of Olives, as well as every tiny, teeny, tiny, unknown to us detail along the way, and there's a lot of things we don't know, all of this, all of this, the life of Jesus, 33 years, was the complete surrender to the will of the Father. Every single thing. He never was out of, not even, you and I have never been not out of balance for even a second. We're out of balance most times, right? Every now and then we're in balance. I'm talking like truly like the Holy Spirit, totally upon you. Jesus, it was always resting upon him, just like when the dove came down. Every single detail Holy and will of the Father. Amazing, isn't it? Yes. He said, this, this, is, I've, this is the work I've come to do. And nothing could deter him from it. Not even a great lunch. <laughs> nothing was going to deter him from this. Rabbi, eat! you know. But all of it was in perfect harmony with the Holy Spirit. And what about you and I? What about in our life? Is, are we allowing, are we allowing every detail to bring glory to God in our lives? Are we allowing every detail? Even, even the mistakes, so Lord, forgive me for that mistake. Allow this to refine me, conform me, bring me into more harmony with you. Uh, a couple weeks ago when I was up in Lynchburg, the pastor's conference, about 25 of us, uh, I can't even remember where Sandy Adams got the quote. i got to get it from him. I haven't had a chance to email him yet. But I'll paraphrase it, but it, it had a really... It had a profound effect on me. And I think I've told my wife and a couple other people, I said, I will be thinking of this spiritual concept from now till the day I die. And so if I live to be 100, you'll hear me mention this many more times in the future. Every now and then I'll hear something, and the second I hear it, say, 
that's not just memory bank. That is like, I will process how I walk spiritually thinking this through. And the quote, I'm paraphrasing, I, and I, once I get it, I'll, I'll bring it back in a few weeks with the actual quote and the 1846 reference and when it was written, all that good stuff. But I don't have it yet. And here's what it, it was. The essence was this. That the word commitment is a modern word that takes the place of the more complete word surrender and commitment causes us to do all the work whereas surrender yields for God to do it through us. And I heard that and I had many bells going off. Hundreds of them in my mind. Like it's fired off. I can apply that there. I can apply it. And I realized many times in my life I've tried and I'm I'm pretty good at commitment, but I'm not anywhere what I'd like to be. And God says, look, ultimately it's about surrender. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. He surrendered to the cross. And when you stop trying to commit to everything and surrender to the will, you'll keep commitments. You won't have to worry near as much about, I'm going to stay committed, I'm going to stay committed, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray. You surrender to the will of God, and all of a sudden, you have the power of commitment. But surrender is way stronger than commitment. And we've substituted it. So everyone, I'm committed, I'm committed to doing PX90, I'm, I'm doing New Year's resolution, I will not fail this year, I will not eat chocolate till tomorrow. <laughs> Stuffing it in your mouth like eight, eight seconds later, right? Surrender. Surrender trumps commitment. Jesus, he, didn't, he was surrendered to the will of the Father. He didn't need the food at that moment. He was full of contentment because he was surrendered to the will of God. He was full of joy. He was surrendered to God's master plan and will for his life and the priorities to God were the most important thing to him. He was surrendered to God in the overall mission but also in the moment of the mission. That moment was right then. You've got to be in the moment, say, Lord, I'm surrendered right now. I'm sitting right now in this sanctuary. Let me be surrendered to what you want me to learn. Let me not get ahead and be thinking about 2 o'clock this afternoon. Surrendered in the moment as well. Ultimately, Jesus, all that surrender would allow him to finish the mission, finish the commitment. And so Jesus, he stayed every bit of his life, fully devoted to the will of the Father above everything else. Are we? Are we fully devoted to the will of the Father through surrender? Are we surrendered to his will above everything else? And are we surrendered to the will of priorities of God that even when he speaks to us to alter our plans. Don't you love when God alters your plans? Because I preach this, I got a week coming. Every time I preach on something... Next week, I might as well just light a match to my calendar. I mean, when, whenever I preach on something like you guys, you, know, you talked about altering plans? Guess what we're doing this week? So, um, but are we willing to lay down the preferences of our own schedules in devotion to him? The more you already surrender it, you're a lot more at peace. You're like, it's already surrendered. It doesn't matter. The, bring it on. No, you don't say that. I'm not saying You do not say that. Don't say that. <laughs> that was a joke. Lord, you know I'm kidding. serious. Um, but if he, says to, if, he says to, if he says to the disciples there, no lunch right now. I want you to go lean into the, the Lord in prayer instead. 
I want you to go learn through serving. I, I want you to go love through investing in the kingdom of God. I, I want you to uh, reach out to others, to live by the joy of surrender, which will include discipling people and lightening other people's load as you're yielded to Jesus. It's all for love's sake. That's, that's why we're doing it. He loved us, and then we love him through surrendering to his will. And, uh, but think about it. One one totally yielded route by Jesus. A, a detour, if you will, into Samaria, because no one went that route if they were devout Jews. And one totally yielded midday meeting set totally aside for Jesus' contact. He never, do you realize he really didn't plan to eat lunch that day? He wasn't, that was not, he, his plan was her soul. That was not, lunch was down on the priority. Maybe if he did, it was way so far down, it wasn't going to happen anyway. So he was focused on that time and space, that couple of hours. And that little time and space has still reverberated for 2,000 years. Why? Because we're talking about it right now, as if it happened yesterday. Still echoing. This was a fully devoted couple of hours this wasn't like his 40 days in the wilderness. That's a long time, right? It wasn't a 40-day fast. It's just lunch. Just lunch. Imagine what God could do if you just yield lunch to him sometimes. All right? Just that time. Are we surrendered in our hearts such that the macro of our life belongs to Jesus, but also we're devoted in the consistent things, the smaller things, the personal worship, the loving him, the loving others, and yet we're yielded and available and flexible to minister to the unexpected situations and I would add the uncomfortable situations. Because sometimes they go hand in hand. Jesus didn't just teach seek, seek first the kingdom of God. He lived seek first the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad he lived it out so you don't have to like, I wonder what that looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. You say, no, God's changing my day we're going through Samaria. I'm not eating lunch. I'm not even going to get a drink of water right now. I'm just going to focus on that individual because her soul is this close to getting saved and no one sees it but me. That being Jesus, not me. At this point, Jesus focused their attention on something they're not seeing, but they will see. Point number three, fully ready, fully ready. He says, again, don't, don't say that there's four months to the harvest, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are already white into harvest. They're already ready. And you're going to reap for things you haven't even labored for. Now, as far as the literal fields of grain, if you were to go, first of all, Israel is one of the most blessed places on earth for growing everything. You, know, may, you may or may not know, 70% of everything you buy in Israel is grown in Israel. 70%. They, they, they literally could lock the borders and sustain themselves with food and drink. They really have a bread basket in that tiny little place. You know, flowers grow there, amazing stuff. Some of the few things that don't grow there that probably will eventually because they, they probably have, the micro, they have 13 microclimates there. They could probably pull it off eventually. It would be coffee beans and cocoa beans. Right, that's about it. Everything else they can do and Wheat fields, are, they're beautiful there. And that's why Jesus would talk about wheat. It would be normal to see different, and other grains too. They have barley and different grains. But it, if you come out of Sychar, they would have seen these fields of grain. And they were four months 
from harvest time. Everyone knew that. This wasn't some, some unknown thing. Everyone understood it was still four months till harvest. But the spiritual fields of souls, they were more ripe than the disciples realized. The spiritual fields were already a lot more ripe than the disciples realized. And by the way, our community in Midlothian and Chesterfield City is more ripe than we realize. It's definitely more ripe than I realize. I'm trying to get, well, I can see more how God sees it, but it's definitely more ripe than we think. More people are hurting. More people are confused. More people are in shame of their sin. More people are thirsty for the saving grace of Jesus than you think they are. And even when they tell you they don't, aren't interested, many times they still are. You've got to love them past the first resistance, if you will. Satan in our own flesh lulls us to sleep and thinking, you're not interested, neither are they. None of y'all are interested. That's a, that's a lie. They're more ready. And like the disciples, they could see their lunch, but they couldn't see the spiritual food of God. They could see the grain fields. Everybody could see them. They were right outside the city. But they were missing the field of souls that Jesus had come to. And in this specific case, Jesus is speaking directly to the work of the gospel. In that we've all been called to go and to share the gospel and to welcome and receive those who come to Christ. So you have going out into the fields and you have the harvest of the fields. You're going into the fields but harvesting the fields. Romans 10, 15, you're going to have to move towards the fields to get there, right? It says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. So even when people are not interested in the gospel, it doesn't matter. You know it's good. You know it's a good thing. You know that you have something. I was telling uh, the first service uh, earlier this week, I follow a lot of different things on Twitter about different informational sources. And I, one of the ones I follow is the Jerusalem Post. I like to hear their view, even though a lot of times it's stuff I totally disagree with and everything. They have great uh, new, new stories. And this one kind of surprised me this week. I got a, a, little, a little article and I read it. It was about an Israeli research company, a, a biotech firm, that had done a research. And what happens with, uh, with COVID with some people, they have this, I can't remember the medical term, it's something storm. It starts with a C. And if someone knows how to pronounce it, I can read it if I'm looking at it. Uh, what is it? Yes, that's it. Yes. And so it creates a storm and the, and the lungs get filled with fluid and uh, your immune system over, what I understand, it overreacts. It way overreacts. And that overreaction can kill you. And so this research uh, firm in Israel um, was doing that in mice, poor mice, uh, but they were doing that in mice and causing the storm to hit them. And then they started giving them, of all things, I don't know even who came up with it, they accidentally spilled it first or what? <laughs> Kefir. Kefir is a yogurt drink. And, um, you know, it's very common in the Middle East and Greece and Lebanon and Israel. You know, you can get kefir at the you know, grocery store there. And it's a yogurt drink. And they're giving the mice little bits of kefir, and it was stopping the storm. And all of a sudden, their lungs were clearing up by giving the mice kefir. I, I just read it like two days ago, so if you don't believe me, you can go search it yourself. You know, so. Now, I was thinking, you know, it would be really cool if they, later down the road they find that it really is that powerful in humans, because sometimes what works in mice doesn't necessarily work in humans. Those, 
We're learning a lot about clinical research in this country. These, we're all becoming expert epidemiologists and everything else but, um, <laughs> uh, these days. And so uh, it ultimately, but it would be really amazing if it did work and it ended up working in adults. You could see somebody and you would say, here's a bottle of kefir. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? Live. <laughs> Just like, you know, drinking you know. it. So what I say is, is when you know that something works, right. you don't hesitate to tell people, right. are you that way about the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. Or am I that way? Or we, we know this works. We know it cures eternal life. We know it cures sin. Are we going to present it if we know that it works? The, things are, uh, the fields were ready. And the overall, um, sharing living water is better than sharing a medical breakthrough. And it's certainly better than eating your lunch. And Rabbi, eat your lunch. Don't worry about Samaria. Don't worry about Sychar. Let's eat. But in the overall context, a life devoted to being part of Jesus' harvest, you'll get to see old lives change. You and I will change more in the process for the better, conforming to the image of Jesus. And we experience more joy than ever when we are serving. But understand that the, the entire field of farms, it's already been acquired by who? It's been acquired by Jesus. He's acquired all the fields of the world. All the fields, all the spiritual fields and, and literal fields too. It says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the real fields and the spiritual fields. In fact, they're both real. Understand this, the spiritual is actually even more real because it will be eternal. The other things are going to be burned up. But again, he's acquired the fields for a harvest. Our job is to put our sandals on in those days. Now it's your tennis shoes, your vans, whatever it is you're putting on, the spiritual gospel on our feet and taking that gospel everywhere we go, into your work, wherever you go. And then we pray, and then we go, and then we serve, and we leave the harvest results up to God. As Dr. Charles Stanley's been saying for years, pray and leave the results with God. Pray and leave the results with God. Pray and leave the results with God. You don't, you don't, fix the, you don't know how the Samaritan woman's going to respond. Maybe she says thanks but no thanks. But maybe she becomes that one, right? Would you be willing to put the lunch aside for that one person? Maybe God has you say, man, I want you to go and pray for that person today. Don't even eat lunch. Go pray for them. Luke 10.2. Jesus said, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest, and all of the harvest is activated through trusting him. That's why we pray. We trust God. We trust that he is the source that can open doors we can't open, that can prick hearts that we can't prick. But we pray, Lord, send us as labors, but also send our brothers and sisters with us. Let's go two by two. Do we really believe the harvest is ready? And do we really believe it's great and going to be great? I believe some of you believe that, and I'm probably convinced that some of you online or some of you here, I'm sure some of you don't believe it, or maybe you just don't care. But when you believe, and when you do care, and when I believe and when I care, guess what? We become laborers. When we believe and when we care. We have to believe and care, and we'll become laborers. The Samaritan woman, she became a caring laborer in one moment, didn't she? She went from thinking about, I just want to fill this water pot up, to I don't care about this water pot, I need to go tell everybody about living water. All of a sudden she cared about people that she probably, some of them she didn't probably like, she probably like, 
I, they don't like me, and I don't like them either. That man divorced me, ruined my life, caused all these problems. Then this man divorced me, and blah, blah, blah. And all that didn't matter. Jesus had said, I can, I can fix all that. I can heal all that. The disciples, they were already laborers in the field where they were serving with Jesus, but they were missing some fields. They were missing some fields. And they would have bypassed this field altogether. Um, I was telling the first service, uh, in, when I grew up, as a big family when I grew up, me and my brothers, we cut the lawn. But my wife, she grew up, she only had a sister. They got to cut the lawn. My sisters didn't cut the lawn. Only the guys cut the lawn. But in my wife's family, it was just her and her sisters. They would put on their headsets, and they'd be listening to their 80s music, cutting the grass. I'd literally come over, my wife and I have known such in high school, and I would see her cutting the grass. And I'm like, it was weird to me to see, because my sisters never cut the grass. And I, I used to cut the grass. But anyone's ever cut the grass, and you don't really care about it, you just want to get the job done, you miss some spots sometimes when you're like a teen, and you just don't care. And your dad's like, how did you miss half the yard? Oh, I forgot that was our yard. Um, I forgot that piece was ours. That, that's our yard? Uh, yes, that's our yard. <laughs> so you know, I, had a, I had every answer that you could have. So the disciples, they would miss parts of the field, completely miss it. Like, you mean that's ours too? With Samaria? We, this, all this we have to talk to these people too? Yeah, that, all that. They were missing some things. But the fields were ready. The proof that they're ready is that the fields are there. The fact that they're there means they're ready. Just like the fields behind the church, we have these fields behind the church that this, this Wednesday night we'll have a, a tailgate fellowship out there. But they're ready to be mowed. They're ready for the tailgate. They're ready for fellowship. They're ready for kids to run around in them. They're ready for people to pray in them. Then they're ready to be mowed again. Then they're ready for ants to run around in them and all the other stuff that happens out there. They're always ready for something because they're there. They're always ready. It's ready because it's there. And it's just like around us, the fields are always ready because God's put us in the middle of them. All we have to do is, he says, you have to look up your eyes. All you have to do is open your eyes and look. They are already ready. Now, he was talking about the field of unsaved souls, but there's also, I just want you to understand, there's just one little context uh, to understand, too, that, that there's other fields of saved fields, in a sense. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. All of you here are a field that God has already harvested. But there's fields out there that need to be harvested. But we're also his field. And his field, he's constantly pruning and getting the weeds out of us. Right? right we're a saved field, but he's getting the weeds. So we're also a field, but we're sent into fields. We're a house, but we're sent out to build up the kingdom of God that's outside of the house. And think about it like this. I was personally a lost soul in a field when people that were from the saved field of God came to me. And they did. When I lived in Fort Lauderdale, people invited me to church and told me about Jesus. And so they came out of their field to my field. And that's what we have to do. We are God's field, but we also are sent into the fields. Last thing this morning, we have to believe that God can do what only God can do. And so Jesus is going to, he's told them, look, you've, you've missed that the fields were ready. You've missed that the harvest was ready, but you won't be able to miss what I'm about to do. Pick it up with me in verse 39. 
And he told him to look. Now what, well, we'll get to this in a second. And many of the Samaritans in that city, last point this morning, which I've titled Fully Multiplied, and we'll bring it to a close here. And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay, and he did stay. And many more believed because of his own word than they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for ourselves, we have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Many believe. Many believe. You see, when we invite people to the Son of God, to living water, we never know what can happen with just that one soul. We never know what God can do with one soul. We don't know if that one soul is Billy Graham, or D.L. Moody, or Charles Spurgeon, or Hudson Taylor. We don't know who that one soul could be. One soul that's fully convinced and redeemed by Jesus. This Samaritan woman, she had no great pull with her community. As a matter of fact, uh, that she would have been a person, oh, we don't even take her opinion. But when they saw the radiant change in her, it was quite the opposite. It's, I was told, um, I've only met Mike a couple times, but Pastor Mike, one of the pastors down in North Carolina that, you know, formerly was in the Hells Angels and worked for the Gambino crime family. Um, and he got saved at the same Calvary Fort Lauderdale that I got saved at, but six months after I did. And, um, and his testimony is amazing. I think he's going to put, put it to a book at some point. But, but normally, there's a lot of people that would stay away from him in his old days. But once he's changed... He kind of radiates Christ in a way that you can't help but say, tell me what happened. How do, no one breaks out of the crime family alive. Right. Especially when they had an FBI sting and like over 70 people arrested in that ring. and all. It's a long story, but God makes people from not approachable to their witness is so strong, you can't help but say, I at least need to understand what happened. That's what the, with this woman, they're like, you guys at least want to find out how I got changed. They're like, yeah, if you got changed, we do need to check this out. <laughs> That's basically what happened. If you got fixed up, we need to go because you're the worst of us, which they would find out that, that, that she wasn't the worst, that they were just as much sinners as her. She wasn't the worst. They would have then later said, we realize that our sin is just as much. And so Jesus does this work. She didn't have a great pull in the community, but they saw the witness. They couldn't ignore what had happened. Her prior thirst becomes their thirst. And they had to see it for themselves. Is this witness really true? Is, her, is what she's saying about Jesus true? Could he really be the Christ? Is he really the one that forgives sins? And by the way, let people, when you're talking to people, let them investigate Jesus. Let them investigate Jesus. If their investigation is sincere, they're going to come to know that he's the only way to eternal life. They're going to know. I don't have a problem people asking me tough questions. I say, go ahead and give them to me. Let's take a look at what the Word of God says. You have a question, the Bible has an answer. I'm totally fine with people's sincere questions and their skepticism. The Scriptures can handle all of it and then bring them into conviction. I can't convince them with some shrewd argument. The Scriptures break down their arguments. And as they left the city gates to investigate Jesus and what we find is that a whole bunch of them are going to return fully transformed. You know, that 
seen of. They leave skeptics, but they come back transformed. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Christians are not men and women hoping for salvation, but those that have experienced it. I could not preach this if I haven't been changed. It's one thing to tell about people. You know, there's unsafe pastors in America. That's why they, they, they don't really believe this stuff. That's why they don't t- talk about the scriptures that much. One little verse and then it's off on. But if you believe it, you've been changed by it. It's a different story. But as they begin walking towards Jesus, you can see the scene. You have the fields of harvest and Jesus sees, sees each person like a stalk of grain for God walking towards and just that kind of silhouette against the field as they're walking towards and we know that just one little seed can become a big old tree with a whole bunch of other seeds in it, right? One little apple seed can become this whole massive tree that can give fruit and shade and everything else and Jesus is the one that ordains it all. Acts 2.47, the Lord added the church daily those that are being saved. That's what I hope that we there we go. That's what I hope that we see here, that God starts adding, if not daily, at least weekly or monthly. Or, and all starts with one. We need to pray, we need to believe, and we need to participate with simple trust and God's addition and multiplication. Amen? Amen. Just, just believe that God can do it. And, and Jesus is teaching the disciples here, I want to close with this. Jesus is dis- he's teaching the disciples this one thing. Invest in one person at a time. It's hard to reach a million people. You aren't told to. Go reach one. God will do the multiplication. Lord, how are we going to put all these fish in the net? That's for him to worry about. You talk to one person at a time. I talk to one person at a time. He'll make it many. If Jesus comes to you today, and I'm telling you he is, and says, pray, listen to me, and look for one, don't look for a million, look for one, will you start doing it? Wherever you go, just say, Lord, help me to see that person as thirsty, and I don't even know it. As open, and I don't even know it. As ready, already the field, you've done all the plowing, all i got to do is like, pour a little water. Invite him to church or something. He's multiplied for 2,000 years, and there's a fullness that he still wants to do, that he wants us to be part of. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the surety of your word, the promise of your word, that, uh, Lord, that it'll never return void. And that if you've changed us, we don't have to be scholars. We can go out immediately and just say, I don't know a lot, but I know this man changed me. And, Lord, that we would believe it so much that uh, we believe, therefore we spoke, that it, would, it couldn't help but come out of our mouths. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would um, do this, what you did in Samaria, you'd do here in Chesterfield. Lord, you'd help us to see that the fields are white, and if we just invite people to church or share the gospel, or hey, I, can I share this with you, Lord, that we would be surprised with how many people are saying, yes, I, I, I want to hear that. I, I do want to come. I want to hear that. I want to listen. I, I'm confused about the world today. I, I, I see all this stuff, and there's got to be a better answer. Lord, there's got to be something that I'm missing, and Lord, that people would find that you are what is missing in their hearts. Before we just close and worship, and I just want to ask if there's anyone here, and maybe online, if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus and never asked him, to cleanse you, to wash you like he did to the woman at the well, to fill you with living water. 
Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone at all? I don't want to take for granted that everybody here is born again. Anyone on? Anyone online? I can't see you, but I can pray. And if you want to pray, and uh, again, last couple of weeks it's been cool to pray with people and see them come to Christ. Uh, I love it. That's all the reason Jesus came. I want to pray, and you can pray silently with me if you're online. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living a perfect, sinless life. Thank you for preaching the gospel of your redemption, your death on the cross, your resurrection, that you and you alone are the only way I can be saved, and I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me, wash me, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, for I've decided this day to follow you, Jesus, and your name I pray, amen.